Hi everyone and welcome to The Mind Behind It. My name is Huda. And I am Sahil. All right, Kevin, can you, uh, we were having this argument. When do you think immunity is built? Like the body's immunity? For the vaccine? No, just in general, like she gets sick a lot. And when she gets sick, she gets sick for a really long time. Yeah. And she's like, I'm not taking medications this time because I want to build my immunity. Is that, is there such a thing? In your thirties, uh, yes, there is. Ha. I mean, no, wait. So you have. I mean, I just talking to a doctor uh, I know the other day, and he was. He said that he doesn't know any of his doctor colleagues, healthcare worker colleagues who work in the hospital, who have gotten COVID. And he said he thought it's because they all get exposed to everything. You know, they have something in their immune system that is already in there. But that's different than if you're sick and then you're getting well. That's that also can be how well your immune system is working, as opposed to just just having immunity to stuff. Yeah, her immune system is terrible. Like there's literally. So can we? No, I don't think it's terrible. You've got autoimmune. It literally says your immune system is so shit. It's on auto. No, autoimmune is different. Autoimmune is where your 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 immune system attacks your own body. That's different. What you need is zinc, by the way. Zinc is oh, okay. the only mineral that has been shown to help with colds and things like that. So you need some zinc. You can get, I don't know how in America we get these lozenges, you know, and they have zinc in them and they're sweet. And you just, of course, you know, of course, in America you have lozenges. I think America's made into candy. So <laughs> But you, something like that, some kind of zinc is probably something you need. But, you know, what I would tell you is, because I'm really into like, I, I really like Chinese medicine. I think I told you guys I was, I was the dean of a Chinese medicine school. So go find a good acupuncturist, herbalist who's certified, you know, knows what they're doing. Not some fly-by-night person who works in the health food store and, you know, and get them to give you a tune-up. A tune-up. Yeah, if you get sick and you're staying sick for a long time, the idea is your body is a little deficient in some... Are you a vegetarian? I'm a vegan. Yeah, that's why you're sick all the time. Oh, come on, Vulcan. You know what? That's the biggest amount of shit I've heard. I, I, I'm saying this as somebody who is, you know, I'm almost vegan. So I can say that, you know, but that, that for some people you become deficient. So what you need as a vegan is to get somebody who can counsel you about, you know, what you're eating and make sure that you get the right nutrients as a vegan, we need B12, you know, very important. That you well, B12. so um, I think my B- B12 is fine. I did blood tests and um, my B12 is actually really good. It's almost a B13 now. That's how good it is. <laughs> so, yeah, so zinc I, and vitamin D would be the other ones. Vitamin D. Sure. I think vitamin D is my issue. And I've always had an issue with iron from the get go. Like since I was young, it's which is quite prominent in Asian women for some reasons, especially South Asian women. Somebody told me once and I did it. I had some long time ago iron deficiency things. They said get a cast iron frying pan, skillet, you know, and cook your food in the cast iron. You eat it seasons after a while and you'll actually, especially if you cook things that are acidic like tomato juice or, you know, like spaghetti sauce or something, it'll take iron from the pan and you'll get some iron that way. Why don't I get her a bar of iron she can lick every day? <laughs> no, that won't work. It's Okay, so yeah. just as a, just to tell you why I think I'm sick, I okay. recently started a new job since we last spoke and I think it's the shift work which I've never done ever in my life say no more (laughs) by shift work you mean you're working like like so um, as you know I've never never done that before so So there's a lot of literature about shift work and how bad it is for you I know when I was in college I worked my way through college working the graveyard shift at a mental hospital so oh my god all my medical problems today are the result partly a result of doing that shift work for a couple years it's terrible for you yes 
the stress, you know, having your, your circadian rhythms being off, all that kind of stuff, all that can lead to chronic illnesses and problems. And so, yeah, shift work is terrible, you know, unless you can sleep. Yeah, so my know. body just, my body clock just goes out of whack. I am fine, yeah. Kevin. Thanks for asking. <laughs> <laughs> Sahil, you look very good. You look like you're doing well. We interviewed um, a lady who trained at the Monroe Institute. Oh. It's the helical experiments where they try to alter your consciousness by meditating. I think the CIA got into trouble for that because they had been doing it for years and hiding it from the public. And I want to try it. You, you won't try projection. it. Astral projection. You won't try it. I you, will. Astral projection? Yep. Interesting. Yeah. I'm going to fucking try it. You don't have time. It's not going to happen. <laughs> I don't have time for astral, astral projection. projection. <laughs> Bullshit. <laughs> More, a little more shift work, you'll be astral projecting. Yeah, not when you don't want to. You know, <laughs> I took a when I was when I was your guy's age a billion years ago. I took a class in hypnosis. You know how to do hypnosis, and the, one of the last things he had us do was to try to do astral projection. And I remember like trying to you know astral project out of your body and look down and see your body and stuff. <laughs> I don't know. We have Kevin Vulcan for part two, and one of the reasons was well, there was too many questions to ask. Let's talk about your paper. You recently did your paper on animal hoarding. So let's talk about that. Hoarding and animal hoarding. Yes. And it just came out in the, and I want to give a shout out to the journal, Psychodynamic Psychiatry, because it came out in a psychiatry journal, not a psychology journal, which should tell you a little bit of something about my profession of psychology. So it was hoarding and animal hoarding. So it was both kinds of hoarding. And you can think of animal hoarding as kind of a um, specific subset of hoarding. I believe, you know, at what point does hoarding become a problem? Because I think we are all hoarders in some form or the other. And I think a lot of people who do hoard stuff do not believe that they are obsessive hoarders. So when does it become an issue? That's right. So it becomes an issue when it starts to interfere with your life in a negative way. You know, so people who collect things, we can can make a distinction between collecting and hoarding. So like I collect guitars because I'm a musician. That's what I do. And so I've been collecting guitars for a long time. You know, my wife calls me a hoarder, but I'm not because they are stuff that bring joy to my life. They don't cause me problems or, you know, cause problems with my work or my relationships or anything like that. They don't cause any real problems. They bring me some joy. They have a public value as opposed to a private value. A lot of hoarded objects have a private value for the person. They don't like, you know, like person who stacks up old newspapers in their house. Those newspapers are valuable to them, but they're not valuable to anybody else. They have a private value versus a public value. You know, I collect guitars. Some of them are really valuable. I could sell them for money. So that's another thing that sort of distinguishes the hoarder. Though I wouldn't say that that in and of itself is a definition of hoarding because somebody might pin the, the bugs on things. You know, they, they collect insects and entomologists. That's also a private value, right? I mean, I wouldn't think that was worth anything. You know, bugs into a thing, you know, but somebody who's into that would think that that's really cool. That's not the sine qua non. That's not the defining thing. But the real defining thing is it starts causing problems in your life, causes problems in your relationship with your work, uh, your ability to just do daily things that you need to do, feed yourself, bathe yourself, those kind of things. That's when we really start calling the hoarding pathological. And of course, hoarding is a natural thing. Animals, you know, there's lots of hoarding in the animal kingdom. And there's two types of hoarding that we see in the animal kingdom. Both of these things have evolutionary advantages to the animals that hoard. There is something that's called scatter hoarding. This is like a squirrel and it gets nuts, you know, it collects nuts before the winter and it hides them in different places, right? And then when winter comes, it goes to these different places and finds its little hordes of nuts in different places. They're scattered about, right? That's scatter hoarding. And then you have something called larder hoarding and larder hoarding you see in hamsters and in some rats. And what that is, is they have, they take all the food they collect and they put it in one place and then they guard it, right? That's called larder hoarding. And human beings do both, right? So people, you know, have money in the stock market, put all my money 
in, you know, Apple stock or something. I put my money a little in Apple, a little Microsoft, a little of this, a little of that. You know, I have it spread out, scattered among the stock market. That is the human equivalent of scatter hoarding. Larder hoarding is where I have money in my bank account. I stick it all in the bank account and I pay the bank to guard my money, right? And keep it there. That's, that's, that's larder hoarding. So as human beings, we do both. The difference is in humans is that animals generally hoard food. That's their resources, food. And human beings, because we have big brains and imagination, we've now assigned value to other things besides food. So human beings do scatter hoarding and larder hoarding with things that, that are not food, right? You know, money, typical for us, but other stuff besides that as well. But it definitely has an evolutionary advantage for animals to do it. And, you know, some of that may have passed on to human beings as well. You know, the, the sort of tendency to do these kind of things can be really quite normal and quite healthy. So human beings, of course, I think just like animals started with hoarding food as well, because that was the only thing that we realized would sustain humankind is getting getting enough nutrition, getting yeah. enough energy. Yeah. I didn't mean to exclude food. Human beings do hoard food, but they also hoard other stuff as well. And they hoard resources that allow them to buy food and things like that, like money. But I think the okay. interesting idea is that human beings have, like a lot of people, like you said, newspapers, right? People hoard different kinds of things. I know this one person who hoarded just McDonald burgers and the wrappers, mm -hmm. like he would never throw out the wrappers. There's a lot of fear of missing out in this current generation. And you don't want to miss out. This other guy that I know... So imagine going to Costco. He would always get something that was a bargain, no matter if he used it or not. It didn't matter if he used it or not, but he never wanted to miss out on a bargain. And like yeah. there was such a fear of missing out on that to the point where it became obsessive. Yeah, there are some people who study hoarding who feel that definition of hoarding should be expanded to sort of excessive shopping. You know, people who shop beyond their means. I feel like they're sort of obsessively need to go and business a deal, even if they can't afford it. And they start getting into trouble because they go into debt, you know, and they can't pay it back. And that's, some people think that that should be included with hoarding behavior. The problem is for me is that hoarding is, you know, is related and it's always been related in psychology to, you know, obsessive compulsive disorder. Mm -hmm. So at some point, you know, is that guy, your friend who does this, is he being sort of obsessive or is he actually hoarding stuff? And so you got to make a distinction between sort of obsessive compulsive and hoarding behavior and there you know there, there's some overlap there between the two things yeah well one is obviously uh, it's it's a mental health issue and i think yeah. obsessiveness can often you know when increased it, it becomes to a point where you can't get out of it but is hoarding the same yeah. do you get addicted yeah. to hoarding yeah. yeah hoarding is the same and you know again when it starts causing distress in the person it becomes a mental health issue it's related to obsessive compulsive disorder many many hoarders you know majority of hoarders also have other mental health issues that are diagnosable. So, you know, usually hoarding is just one thing out of, you know, other stuff that goes on. Now, the other stuff could be caused because the hoarding is causing them so much distress, like maybe they become depressed or it could be just co-occurring with the hoarding. You know, maybe they have some other things that they're obsessed about. They have some obsessive compulsive thing. Or in the case of older people, they have some dementia. And you see that in older people, especially very disorganized hoarding, people have dementia. Sometimes referred to as diogenes syndrome, kind of not really, that's not a really good good name. It's because Diogenes was a Greek philosopher who lived on the street and he lived in a very disheveled way and he did all sorts of socially unacceptable things. And so somehow that label got put on this sort of disorganized hoarding. And those people generally have dementia. You know, that's when they find the old person who's been living in their house and they've had to tunnel through the papers and there's rats and stuff and feces everywhere. And that's a Diogenes syndrome kind of kind of a person. Mm -hmm. And usually there's some dementia involved in that. So 
So my dad, he likes to keep lots of paperwork and he always says, even though it's been years and years and years and years, he'll always be like, oh, no, 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 one day I might need it. And because of that, yeah. his study is insane. I find that he's quite sentimental, I would say. Yeah, yeah. Which I think is so another... Then, yeah, sentimental means it's what I said before, that there's a private value. So, you know, again, if it starts causing problems for him, you know, in his life, then we start to think about diagnosing that as hoarding. You know, if it's not causing any problems, then, you know, it's just, you know, he just has a bunch of stuff in the house. One time when they went overseas, I got a skip and I just got rid of so much stuff and they came back yeah. and the house was like... Because I'm one of those people, I'm the opposite of hoarding. I hate keeping stuff. Yeah, you should yeah. look at a room right now. It's really clean yeah, just my clothes. My clothes are everywhere. But like, as in, in terms of stuff I don't use anymore, I tend to want to get rid of. Yeah, that's good. I think that's good. I mean, I'm saying that, you know, here I have probably boxes and boxes of paperwork because, I don't know, 20 or 30 years ago, some attorney told me, you better keep this in case, you know, the, the government comes after you for taxes. You better have all that information here. And as I, I, I'm fond of saying, you know, it's nothing a match wouldn't cure, you know, like just burn it all, get rid of it. <laughs> also have some, yeah. I, don't, I, don't, I don't have a sentimental value toward it. I'm just paranoid that, you know, the government's going to come after me <laughs> Paranoia. <laughs> well, there, there is something actually quite weird about what you just said is, you know, you almost want the government to come at this point because you've been saving it. Because <laughs> you've been saving it. And you just it. want to throw it in their faces. <laughs> but it's this yeah. fear, which I find, like my dad does it too. He's got paperwork from years and years, but he's really organized. So it's all in like file folders and stuff. Whereas for me, yeah. like I have no idea where any of my shit is. Like it could be in yeah. the bin. It could be in my bag. Who knows? It's a box of chocolate. I don't know what I'm going to get, right? I, I'm more like you, actually. My stuff is just sort of thrown in boxes. box. So I have no... I, if I had to get it out, it would be a disaster, you know? <laughs> You're like, I please don't come to organize. But if I had to find a piece of information for somebody, it would be a disaster. Yeah. It, it, not that that's going to happen, knock on wood. You know, that's not going to happen. They're not going to come after me. You know? Not for <laughs> oh my God. 30 years ago. You know, that's not gonna <laughs> They're not going to come after me. They, you realize they are listening to us, right? <laughs> yeah. I they, they, they. And um, funnily enough, I think now what people do, which I find is a very interesting new trend is people save their videos on their phone and they never want to get rid of them because they yeah. think they might again it's sentimental value they think that they might that's true need to I do that yeah videos yeah, photos have... everything and companies can take advantage of that like what Apple does is it only gives you a limited amount of space on your phone yeah you know and, that out. yeah so yeah. you have to invest in buying the fucking cloud which is literally a thing that nobody knows what it means like nobody knows what a cloud means <laughs> I we, should have had that job at Apple where I figured out people were going to hoard videos and then said, hey, charge for this. But, you know, we could talk about digital hoarding, you know, because that's a new thing, you know, and now if I get paperwork, what I do is I take the picture of it, a digital exactly. picture, I put it on the computer, you know, I've got Dropbox, I put everything in Dropbox and put it in a file somewhere and forget about it. I don't have to have it a physical thing, but I mean, there is, I mean, and I didn't talk about this in the paper, but this could be a whole nother paper. It's yeah. like digital hoarding, you know, that we now hoard things digitally and companies like Apple and, you know, Amazon or whatever, you know, are taking advantage of that. I mean, do you guys have Amazon photos? I mean, I pay every year no. 70 bucks or something. And in all my photos I take with my phone get automatically uploaded to Amazon. And they're all, there's thousands of them up there now. And they're up in Amazon and I pay money to keep them in the cloud. Jesus. <laughs> but if I stop paying them money, guess what? Goes away. Just, They'll you know, be on the internet. It's 70 bucks every year, you know, like, so it, it's terrible. You know, I mean, it's, it's a real thing now, you know. I mean, it is actually. And, and now I'm getting an idea for another paper. This has been another a very good. Paper. You know, now especially in the court of law. There's so many times I was listening to the best uh, true crime story when I was uh, driving over here, which was about this guy uh, who was part of a Mexican gang in LA. And he was falsely accused of killing this woman, shooting her. And he said that he didn't do it. And 
and uh, obviously his lawyer said we're gonna need an alibi and he said I actually have these two stub tickets for the San Francisco 49ers game that I went to play and the lawyer said that's not gonna be enough we need something else and he said well funnily enough on that day they were doing this TV show in the audience and I think I came in one of the shots and he's like what TV show was it and it was Kirby enthusiasm with Larry David in it. So this lawyer went to Larry David's office at HBO and begged them to go, this person could be life or death situation. I want to see your footage. And turns out in that footage, in one frame, you can see him and his daughter, which saved his life. One frame. One frame. Or just because HBO had this footage that that, that saved him. So again, what what are you going to need when? You just never know. It's true. That brings up an interesting other thing, you know, that there's, so, you know, there's private digital hoarding that we all have right our pictures and but there's public digital hoarding where governmental agencies and tv shows and everything i mean there's video like on every corner now so i don't know how it is in australia but in america you know now if you go any to any sort of public place there are video cameras everywhere cctv cctv is everywhere now it's you know i don't believe there's some government conspiracy that there's a government a secret government agency watching all this stuff look you know i think it's very scattershot all over the place you know this people have it here this business has it here somebody has it here but there is all this information out there. You almost can't go anywhere without, you know, your your whereabouts being recorded, you know, so it's very interesting. And, and you know, you kind of think about it as sort of a social hoarding, you know, that, that socially, not as individuals, but as a group, we are hoarding all this information. And of course, the big thing now that is happening is that they're using AI to go through the information to glean out what's useful or to ask questions of it. Yeah, we want to do one with AI technology. Yeah, yeah, you should do that. That'd be interesting. I, I'd, I'd like to like to watch that one. That'd be that'd be fascinating. I mean, I don't know that much about it except you know, what little I know about it. But the thing about you know we're talking about individuals hoarding and have a psychological disorder as individuals, but what about a societal hoarding disorder where we're hoarding all this information, you know, and then that we as human beings are really unable to put it all together, organize it and go through it we have to invent computer programs that do that for us and and the thing with social hoarding is it's manipulated a lot like with jeffrey epstein's case everyone would assume that there would be a video camera looking into such a highly you know a prized possession of, for for yeah. the courts and suddenly there was never any footage found which is well that seems very i mean there was a number of coincidences in the jeffrey epstein case when he was in jail that seemed you know, quite improbable, you know, would, would happen at the same time, you know, far be it for me to comment. I don't know enough, not enough data to comment on that, but, you know, sitting outside at a distance, you know, does seem like a lot of improbable things. For me, what is more interesting in Jeffrey Epstein is where's all the video that Jeffrey Epstein took on his, you know, pedophile Island, you know, that, that, that would be. Apparently they have it. Do they have that stuff? Yeah, apparently. Well, they do have uh, a, so in the documentary Filthy Rich, they actually went through his Miami house in Beach, and they found a lot of footage, like footage yeah. that would definitely be culpable in court. But yeah. it's it's interesting about the island because you're right. There's not much about any footage that was found on the island, and I would yeah. assume like there would be. We don't be really something. know much about the island too. The island is really fascinating. We really don't know much about it. You know, it's closed off, and it doesn't seem quite right. It seems like there's something very fishy going on there, which is the case when you have people with a lot of money. You know, that's that's not unusual, unfortunately. Hoarding money. That's another one. Yeah, well, hoarding money is the t- that's the that's the holy grail for for a lot of people in capitalist society. Hoarding money. Money has become the imaginary version of, you know, you know, hoarding food by rats and squirrels and things, you know, it's money for us. And so hoarding money is something that a lot of us become obsessed with. 
you know, in our lives and wanting to have enough money and being able to survive and, you know, being, you know, have money to you know, live in a nice place and to be in a good environment, you know, all that kind of thing equates to having a lot of money because that's how our societies are, are structured. That all makes sense. But then when you think about animal hoarding. Can I, can I uh, use a great segue that you used? Just because it'll sound really good on the podcast. Yeah, go, go, go. Talking about fishy things. Uh, okay. Now you can go. <laughs> I'll let you have this one. Okay. So all of that makes sense. But what about animal hoarding? So animal hoarding is like, I think of it as sort of a subset of hoarding objects. Animals add a degree of animation. So what we find in psychology about animals, first of all, if we go to the psychology of hoarding in general, and we look at the psychological reasons behind the pathological hoarding, a lot of times we find that the hoarded objects play a role, something that we call in psychology called transitional objects. So, you know, when you have little babies, little infants, toddlers, a lot of time they will attach themselves to a blanket or a teddy bear or something. And the idea is that this blanket or teddy bear thing helps them mediate, you know, from there, you know, because little, when they're little babies, they're really in this internal world and they're starting to interact with the external world, usually through the mom or some other caregiver. And so having this object that they hold, it sort of helps them mediate between their internal world and the external world of the mom. It sort of bridges that relationship, makes it a little more comfortable, less anxiety provoking for the child, right? And so they have these objects and the very famous psychoanalyst D.W. Winnicott, English psychoanalyst, coined the term transitional objects for these, these things. He was also a pediatrician. And so he saw a lot of kids and these kids would have a blanket or something and help them re- you know, mediate their relationships with the external world or the mom, right? And so one of the theories about hoarding, this is the one that I sort of like, is that people who hoard objects, that transitional, ob- you know, most kids outgrow the need for that transitional object. At some point, their personalities become integrated. They see the mother in the outside world in a realistic way. They develop psychic structures and ego and superego, these kind of things. And they no longer need that object, no longer becomes important to them. But some kids, there may be something where the relationship with the mother or the caregiver is not quite right. There's still some anxiety that they have. And so they hold on to those objects. And what hap- can happen is later on, that anxiety can be reactivated. And then the hoarded objects can sort of be sort of an adult version of that transitional object. I I call it a reactivated transitional object. I may be the only one who uses that term, reactivated transitional object. And then that object, like the hoarded object when they were a child, has a private value. The the child who has their little blanket or whatever, that blanket has value to the child. Everybody else just thinks that's a disgusting, gross, dirty blanket. But, you know, the child, it's got this value. And then the adult hoarder, you know, the objects also have this sort of private value-like. And the idea is maybe they alleviate some anxiety they help the hoarder to be able to engage, you know, with the environment and the outside world and, and, you know, keep it together sort of, right? So that's the idea with hoarding. When you add animals in, the idea that the animals are animated and the animals themselves need care. And so the idea here is that, especially with when, when people have had some problem when they're mothering early, and a lot of times, in a lot of cases, not all, but a lot of cases, there is a loss of mothering or at least a loss of mothering for a period of time of that young kid. Then what happens is you see in the animal hoarders, they hoard the object, has the same thing like an inanimate object, has that same sort of transitional object aspect, but it also has an aspect of repetition compulsion. And that is where you had some sort of traumatic scenario when you were a child, but then as an adult, you are doing, you're trying to reenact that in order to get mastery over it. And so the animal hoarder then cares for the animal, takes care of the animal in order to sort of get mastery over that situation where they lost their mothering. They take on the role of mother and the animal in some sense takes on the role of them as a child. And they attempt to, you know, master that situation by providing the mothering to that child, which is now the animal. 
right? And so they become very overly invested in the care of the animal. The problem is, is then, you know, one animal doesn't really do it. You know, it doesn't really work with one. So they go get another one and they get another one and they get another one. And eventually now they really can't care for the animals. The animals really start to suffer, even though the person who the, the animal hoarder typically will believe that the animals are well cared for, even when they're living in squalor and they're, you know, if you see some of the videos of the animal hoarders, it's really pretty. I show one to my class. It's pretty shocking, you know. So that, that's kind of what, uh, what I think of as the psychology of animal hoarding. There's uh, Tufts University, which is in Boston. There's a research consortium there that studied hoarding. And they came up with this idea, which I like, of there's three types of animal hoarders. And the, the first one is somebody who starts collecting animals and they're able to take care of them and it doesn't impact their lives. The animals are well taken care of. The person's getting along. They're able to do all their stuff. They're not really anything negative going on. And then what happens is that person may lose their job or something. Something. Then it becomes problematic and the animals start to suffer and get, have issues because the person's not really able to take care of them anymore. And then there's the person, the, the middle one, which is the rescuer. And this is someone who has sort of a rescuer complex. They just need to keep rescuing animals in an obsessive way. And the person we call the overwhelmed order and the rescue order, they kind of blur into one another. You know, there's a lot of overlap between those two. And those two, I think, fit this idea of what I'm talking about, you know, in the psychology of the animal work. I think they fit that very well. The third type of animal hoarder is the psychopath. And this is somebody who just collects animals in order to get something that they want some sort of gain. They don't really care about the animals. They just use them for their own their own benefit. You know, they, they don't really care. And, and in my paper, what I, I give the example of the TV show, I don't know if you guys saw it, of Joe Exotic. It was a big deal at the beginning of the yeah. pandemic here, the documentary of this guy owns a circus and again and, I, and I'm, i've been warned by my lawyer wife to say allegedly he seems he seems psychopathic right um, he seems to fit the allegedly fit the pattern again i don't know for sure he may not be that so I, you know just allegedly he seems to fit that pattern of the psychopathic animal where he's just he's just keeping all these tigers but he's really doing it for his own aggrandizement and you know if he has to he has to kill one he just goes on the show he just goes and murders it with a gun and so he fits that psychopathic one so they don't really fit in with the psychology of the animal hoarder their psychology is more of the psychopath is that almost like playing god in a way well it's it's not in a sense, playing God, I mean, in a sense, it's not that they, that the animals are worshiping them or something, it's just that, you know, they want something and it's almost like they have no conscience, like what's good or bad. They're just going to yeah. do whatever they need to do to get what they want. Yeah. And so if that means, you know, shooting a tiger in the head, that's fine. If it means collecting a hundred tigers and being able to go out and get all this adoration of people who come to your tiger thing and then, you know, not treat them very well, you don't care really. You, you, you pretend to care about them, but you don't actually really care about them. Yeah. The only reason I thought about it is because they do want them to listen to them to some extent as well like you know there is that form of control that they're kind of you mean the animals want them to listen to them no as in the people, people well there's you know i mean the thing is with psych psychopathy there's also in a lot of cases there's some crossover with narcissism so yeah. and a lot of psychopaths want that attention they want aggrandizement again that the thing that they want and they're willing to do anything to get it right so another example of a psychopath animal hoarder would be somebody who goes around and you know steals dogs and then sells them to like a biology lab to do experimentation yeah. something you know that would also fit you know they don't really care what happens to the animals they pretend to care for them or whatever but they really just want to make money and you know they don't really that's the psychopath stuff so when we talk about hoarding you know in sense of pathological hoarding we can kind of take the psychopath sort of out of the picture because their psychology is the psychopath psychology it wasn't animals it would be something else that they would use to get their gain so they're not they don't really have the same psychology as the overwhelmed and the rescuer the overwhelmed and the rescuer have probably have the psychology that i'm talking to you about the the reap the repetition compulsion with the mothering you know they 
it, that fits those first two categories, but so, not the cycle. So I find that with what you're just saying is it's a lot to do with the attachment styles. Yeah. So, you know, I mean, I'm not an expert on attachment theory, but, you know, attachment is essentially they took Freudian psychology and they took Freud out of it. And that makes it acceptable to academics because academic psychologists don't like Freud. If you read any any personality theory textbook, it'll have a paragraph saying Freud was bad and don't, you know, he's horrible. And that's why all the academic psychologists that they're training, which they get almost zero training on Freudian psychology, they get very biased against Freud. So some people who wanted to do Freudian psychology, in my opinion, took the Freudian ideas and some people who followed Freud, like John Balby and some other people were very brilliant. And they took their ideas and they sort of they sort of sanitized it from Freudianism. And but it's the same idea. Right. So attachment is it's the same idea we're talking about. It's just different languages describe kind of the same thing. So myself and my other colleagues kind of interchangeably, me not so much. I more stick with the Freudian language. We interchange with the attachment language and the Freudian language, and they do go together quite, quite well. So, yeah, it is very similar to attachment. So you could say that these kids got some sort of insecure attachment and the objects, the animals help them make their attachments more secure. They, but they have to do it over. It doesn't really work. So they got to do it over and over and over again. So they keep getting more animals. And, but they have a delusion that the animals are well cared for. Interestingly, I, I think going back to Joe Exotic, especially, Joe Exotic never went to jail for the way he treated animals. Joe Exotic went right. to jail because he apparently tried to kill Carol Baskin, right. which was right. never, never really proved. I think he had, like you said, he had that psychopathic behavior where he he realized that tiger cubs are really cute and people want to right. see them from the ages of i think when they're born to about six months right after which they grow bigger and and then they become really hard to keep and they're, not a lot of people are interested in big tigers people love the cubs and he started exactly, he started yeah. killing them and well i mean he i mean they showed that in the show i mean they they literally essentially showed it i mean it was it was so heavily implied that it was obvious that that's what he was doing you know but that is not in of itself something in america there are laws about wild animals in America. And, you know, my guess is they probably just thought like getting him for the Carol Baskin thing was going to be enough to put him away. But they, they theoretically, I mean, they could have gone after him for those kind of things. I don't know why they didn't do that. I mean, maybe maybe the show hadn't aired by then, so they weren't able to see all that footage. Yeah, and I, I'm not sure what the laws are in terms of, you you know, keeping uh, exotic pets in America. Like, I don't know what the law said. It's regulated here. I mean, they talked about that in the show. I mean, there's regulations about it. And, you know, you just can't go out and buy a tiger and keep it in your house anymore here you know that's that's illegal yeah and they they will come after you for that Um, you can do it in the middle east there are places you used to be able to do it here which is a whole another story you have to have a zoo and you have to have a permit and that so going to that point actually zoos yeah so the fact that you know we can't call zoos hoarders is because even though they collect animals for pretty much the same reason they apparently uh they They make money from them though they do take care of them and but at the end of the day they charge money for it. What's the line of differentiation there? So the difference is that the animals in the zoo, there's a presumed public value. So it's valuable to the public to be able to go to the zoo and view the animals and learn about the animals. That is something in societies where they have zoos that is, you know, considered to be a public value. It's not a private value. It's not like I have all these animals in my zoo and nobody else really cares about them. I'm the only one. There's a public value to zoos, right? Zoos provide a public service to people. Now, we could argue that whether that public service of having those animals 
is really valuable or not. But, you know, in the, in the imagination of the society, that's considered to be, it's like a museum, right? It's considered to have a public value. And that's what's really going on. So again, the hoarding of objects, the hoarding of the animals, like think about an art museum, the hoarding of, you know, art, pieces of art, you know. Yeah, but well, the only difference yeah. is pieces of art are not live, right? They are not living. But it's still hoarding, you know, technically. But again, but again, they have a public value, you know. Yeah. Society as a whole has has a sign that these things have a value to them and these are valued for everybody in that society. Which shows how the we animal, treat animals, because we still well, treat animals yeah. as objects of pleasure, of objects well, of attention. This is, but this is the, Uh, you know, Islamic Judeo Christian tradition here is that this is, you know, this comes out of the Bible, right? You know, the Christian Bible, something to the effect of, you know, they, all these animals were put on the earth by God for teleological thinking. Yeah, this is this is the typical thing. These animals are put here on the earth for you to use, right there for your benefit. This is distinct from, for instance, like a Buddhist point of view, where animals are considered to be sentient beings and you let them live their lives and you leave them alone, right? And that Judeo-Christian Islamic view of animals, of course, then becomes something that if you're able to have zoos, that you know, then your society must higher up in the scheme of things. And so you have even countries like China where have they have a lot of Buddhist values, or Japan where they have a lot of Buddhist values. You know, they're going to have zoos too because well, the other Western countries have them. We should have. It's a public value for those people. We're just as good as them, so we're going to have zoos as well, right? So those Judeo-Christian Islamic values get passed on to places that don't have that in their underpinnings. They're philosophical underpinning. Though you could argue in China that, you know, of course, in China, animals are really considered to be sort of put there for human use. You know, there's there's not a lot of Buddhist. There's going to be exceptions to this, but I, but I think the general viewpoint in China of animals is they're there for humans to do whatever they want with, usually eat them in some yeah. form, right? You know, and you saw the pictures of the wet markets in China and stuff. You know, And the Chinese, you know, the communists, you know, at one point under Mao, I think they went out and killed all the birds or something. So maybe China's not the good example, but you could use... <laughs> Other, other other Southeast Asian countries that have zoos as an example, you know, it's like yeah. kind of keeping up with the Joneses, you know, we're going to have zoos too, you know, they have zoos in America and Australia, so we should have a zoo because we're, you know, we're just as good as they are. And so you see those Judeo-Christian Islamic values sort of, you know, because they're valued because the first world countries tend to have those values. And so the countries that are they're aspiring to be first world countries will start adopting those values and they'll have zoos. And then, then zoos will also take on a public uh, value as well in those places. Even though, you know, if you're a good Buddhist, you know, you just basically leave animals alone. You try to be nice to them. They're sentient beings, you know, you pray for them. Try not to eat them. Yeah. You know, unless you're in Tibet where there's not much else to eat, you know, but, you know. I want to make a really controversial point here and actually kind of paralleling it to human beings and, you know, the idea of celebrities like Brad Pitt and Angelina Jolie who, you know, kind of became that rescue couple and <laughs> kept on rescuing kids and kept on adopting kids after. Uh, in our world, you know, we agree that they can do it because they have the resources to do that, right? Uh, yeah. They have the resources to keep on adopting kids and it's it's good for the environment. But at the same time, we don't know how those kids are treated. Like, do they have normal parents or they get a normal parenthood? So yeah, that's a good question. You know, I mean, again, I don't know Brad and Angelina. I mean, they live down the road from me somewhere, but I don't know. <laughs> Vulcan's yeah. just like, oh, whatever. I live, probably live down in Malibu or something. It's about 20 miles away from where I'm at. You know, I mean, you know, I you're a celebrity. Them, like, they might as well be on another planet, essentially. You know, I mean, yeah. who knows what they're thinking? You know, I mean, it'd be very interesting if you had, you know, Angelina on the couch and you could psychoanalyze her to see if, you know, this idea of needing to have all these kids is there's some psychological thing in her background that sort of propels that. I would guess there probably might be. I wouldn't know what that would be. You know, could that be sort of like, you know, you know, wanting, you know, she didn't get the mothering she needed. So now she's trying to be that mother of the kids. Same kind of thing. I mean, 
Who knows? I mean, it's certainly possible. But again, as long as it's not causing them distress to have all those kids, we wouldn't label it as something that's pathological. Now, I know they're having a divorce thing, right? Brad and Angelina, there's a custody battle for the kids right now, isn't there? Yeah. Some I read the other. So, yeah. Well, they live down the road. There is. So. You can ask. Yeah, well, uh, if I run into him in the supermarket, I do sometimes go to, the, there's a very, very fancy health food store in this town of Calabasas, which is yeah, where LA. Kim Kardashian call, lives. The Kardashians live there. Justin Bieber lives there. Britney Spears lives there. You know, there's all these. So I always go in there and you never see the actual celebrities in there because they don't do their own job. Of course. You see their, yeah, I wouldn't. You see, their, you see the assistants in there, like these celebrities hire personal assistants and they do all the shopping and you'll see them in there and they're usually these beautiful sort of yoga looking women who are there and they're on their phone and they're being yelled at by the celebrity and they're going around trying to find these weird oh things my God. the celebrity wants weird yaks milk candy health food stuff and the stores they, they actually have believe it or not they, have, they actually have in the freezer in there and I kid you not this is absolutely 100% true they have camel's milk in little bottles and you can buy camel's milk at this it's, I love to go there I mean I go there I just wander around look at all this weird stuff it's, it's great <laughs> It's super expensive. Everything is super expensive. And you go there and then all the celebrity personal assistants are in there buying stuff for their celebrity people, you know. And So I yeah. do, we were speaking about um, human hoarding, well, technically. I don't know. I call it human hoarding. Well, <laughs> well it's a big claim to make. So I, I personally think that it is human hoarding. I'll tell you why in a second, but go on. So, yeah, no, because I know this woman who is, she's like got this YouTube channel. I can't remember the name. And she constantly adopts children and she's got like 10 of them or something at the moment. Mm-hmm. And she makes videos and everybody follows her. Oh, yeah, I know and who you're talking about. And she's known as that. She's yep, just yep. known as the... She has a very massive family. Yeah, like, they're all like different. Yeah. It's like a zoo of kids. Yeah, and she documents her day and everybody watches it. But I do think that's an obsession. Private or it's public an obsession. use? Private or public yeah. use? Well, I mean, again, those kids have probably a private value. Children in general have a public value as well. Mm-hmm. But you know, yeah. you'd have to wonder. You'd have to wonder again, like an animal hoarder. How are those kids doing? How many kids does she have? She has twenty kids. How are those kids doing? How are their How is their life? How are they? Are they getting the love and attention that they need with all these brothers and sisters? You know, you have to wonder: Is there something going on? Are the kids? You know, are their needs being met? You know, not just food and shelter, but I mean... Yeah, emotional, mental. I was the only yeah, child you know. and I still have issues, so I doubt it. <laughs> that's a different thing. That's, <laughs> but, but not because you were hoarded by your parents. You have other yeah, but I'm saying attention <laughs> divided amongst 20 kids, there's no way they're getting it. I can guarantee that. I would highly suspect that that is true. Yeah. Personally. Now, what I would guess, though, is maybe some of the older kids are taking on mothering roles for yes. the younger kids. Yep. Right? And so maybe they do get it, you know, they, they have to get it in other ways, but kids, you know, a lot of kids are very resilient. You know, they do, they can do pretty well, but I would, I would wonder, I mean, I would, I would raise an eyebrow at that and wonder, is that some kind of hoarding thing going on here? And, you know, again, you know, are the more, more recent kids getting the more attention to a certain age where they get more attention? And you, there's a lot of parameters you'd want to look at in that case. You know, you have a version of child protective services there. I yeah. assume that they're going out and checking up on these kids, but if they're like they are in America, then they're overworked, underpaid and stretched too thin to really be able to necessarily really dig into the details of how well the kids are, their, their emotional 
wife is going. You watch these and you see like sometimes the the kids are like all happy and running around and she's full on busy in the kitchen. Yeah. The truth is, I actually, when you think about it, because it's hard, it's not, I recently saw a video of her saying, oh, we need to buy a bigger car to fit everybody in there. Why does everyone need to fit in the same car? Where are they all going together? Well, they all go places. They're like, oh, we want to take about a vacation. You've got to leave the shitty like, ones at home. You've got to leave the terrible. <laughs> the you, shitty ones. Just don't well, take the I shitty mean, ones. I tend to be a rather cynical bastard, so I would be cynical, cynical about this. But, you know, hey, it could be maybe those kids are very happy and they're well taken care of. And, you know, one thing I, I talk about in my class, I show a video of this woman in Siberia. And she lives in a little house in Siberia. She seems very happy and does pretty well. She has 150 cats. cats. All look very well fed. They're well taken care of. The cats seem happy. She seems happy. And, you know, it, it's definitely hoarding. But is it pathological? Does she need an intervention? Probably not. You know, she's, she seems like she's not she's not overwhelmed. You know, the cats are happy. Maybe this lady with the kids is the same. Maybe she's able to keep it together and the kids are happy. I mean, you know, who knows? You know, but in, until there's some sort of overt pathology, probably nobody's going to really intervene there. Well, yeah. something even more sensitive than that is, so in India, a lot of poor people from low socioeconomic backgrounds tend to have a lot of kids, right? And the reason is so they can be financial resources, uh, especially with male kids, they can go begging and they can get more money. This is for the very low, low class, which is quite a big percent of the population still. Can that be classified as that? Because you're basically getting more kids so that they can help the family out. That would not be really hoarding. The genesis of that is not hoarding. You know, okay. the genesis of that is that this is a way we can, it's like supposedly in America back in the day that, so the farmers would have big families so they could go out and harvest whatever the wheat or whatever they needed to harvest because it, there was no mechanization. So they need a lot, it was very labor intensive. And so they, they would have big families, they have 10, 10 kids or whatever. And that was very typical. So I, I wouldn't call that hoarding. I think that's a different thing. Now, whether it's a good idea or not, I don't know. You know, I mean, I was in India and there was a lot of beggars and, you know, there, I saw beggars that, that had probably been Again, I don't mean to rag on India because I love India. You know, it's one of my favorite places. But, you know, there were beggars that I saw. Probably they had been disfigured purposely. Yeah. They would be better at begging. Oh, that's so yeah, 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 yeah. 100%. So almost certainly some of the beggars I saw, that was the case with them. You know, I mean, I think it's unfortunate that India is, you know, has so many poor people. You know, I mean, at the very moment, it's it's... Yeah, I was just reading this morning about yep. the, the COVID stuff in India. It's just terrible, terrible. Yep. U.S. is going to send them some aid, which is good. I'm glad we're doing that. Yeah. yeah they're having a really hard time. That's yeah. yeah that's a whole other topic that Very we sad. have to cover at some point. Yeah. But Very I do sad. have to yeah. call it a day because... I know. He has to go. We still have so much to talk about. We'll do another part. Yeah. Vulcan. Are we going to come back and do yeah. this again for the third time? Yeah, we could. <laughs> Whatever you guys want. I'm easy, you know. Thank you. Thank Captain you so Vulcan. much. Um, we will talk to you really soon. Thank you, Sahil, Huda. Very nice to talk to you guys as always and take care. Get well. All right. Thank you. See ya. All right. right. Take care, you guys.